ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to another episode of Bad Jew. There are a lot of podcasts out there, 7 million to be exact. I want to thank you for choosing our episode today. It really means the world. With me today is none other than the lovely Kayla Haber-Goldstein. She is with us today to talk about the topic of feminism and sexism within Judaism. It's a very expansive topic. But Kayla, how are you doing today? I am good. I'm excited. I've done a ton of research and I've had time and I'm excited to share. Amazing. Thank you. And by the way, I want to say the one one of the ways that I got connected with Kayla is that one day she was doing a live stream and she did a live stream about what kind of Jew is relevant. I believe that was valid. Or, or valid. That's what it was. What kind of Jew is valid? And I remember right away, I'm thinking this is bad Jew. This is the topic of bad Jews. So there was an automatic synergy yeah. right there. We have very similar brains. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Another way of attacking like all the questions and everything. I think so. I think, you know, the approach to a question has to be blunt. It has to be honest. It has to be from an authentic and genuine place. And when you're able to translate that in a meaningful way, you're able to get exactly. a, a very multi-layered response, which is very much one of the pillars of this brand of what Bad Jew is about and very much about what your brand is about, too. Yes, very much. We like questions. Yes, we do. If you want to ask more questions, be sure to go to her Instagram or her YouTube account, Questioning the Answers. Uh, it's really some amazing content. But with all of that being said, we are crunch for time. I want to challenge Kayla to the right of entry that all the guests of Bad Jew go through, and that is the Bad Jew Challenge, telling your life story in four minutes. Kayla, are you ready? Yeah, I'm pretty young, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got this. All right. Excellent. Ready, set, go. Okay. So I was born in Australia and we moved to America when I was a little girl and we made Aliyah to Israel when I was 10. I grew up in Israel. My daughter, my, I was the daughter of a big rabbi, famous rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Haber. And I grew up very much from religious Haredi. We didn't like really push any lines or boundaries. I was allowed to ask questions. My house was not, my, my father was not strict. He was loving and kind and is my best friend, but I never really asked any because it just wasn't like the kind of environment that supported rebellion. And it was, it was kind of like not, I didn't even think I was able to. I got married. I had a daughter. We moved to America and I started realizing that I was really only religious because of my society, my surrounding, my family. Not because I ever wanted to be or even knew what it meant or connected to God. About a year later, I had a baby. It was a surprise baby. It was a very hard pregnancy. And it was a very, very hard birth where I had experienced a clinical death, which led me on a whole journey. I suffered from very severe PPD and I was very alone and it was a very hard time. Um, which kind of threw me into this journey of questioning, questioning God, questioning the point of things, questioning why I'm alive, which put me into questioning Judaism, questioning religion in general. And I was learning. I, my father would learn with me once a week. My husband would learn with me every day. I was given the space to really leave the community, leave the framework of religion and come back on my own terms in a way that made sense that my soul connected to. And the whole time I took notes, eventually I opened an Instagram account because of pressure from people. Um, 
the notes became not just my questions, questions from people from Instagram. And then after two, three years, I was a lot of people convinced me to publish my notes as, in a book. So the book is called Questioning the Answers and it is out and about and there are some links out there that you can buy them from. It's being turned into an audiobook. And at this point, Questioning the Answers became an organization where we have Shabbaton and events and speakers and a YouTube channel. And we're writing another book called 70 Faces. I don't know why I'm saying we, it's me, myself and I, there is nobody else here. Um, I'm writing a book called 70 Faces, which is about all the different Jews and where they came from to promote, you know, unity. Um, and yeah, that's my life. I have wow. two kids now and a dog and I live in Paramus where I'm a associate Robinson. And yeah, that's it. Well, actually, I don't, I do for a living, like for my, you know, actual job, I'm an interior designer, but that's like not interesting. It's fine. <laughs> I think I did it in three minutes. Do you see that? I, I think you did. Yes, you did. It's funny. I wasn't sure exactly when to stop there. Cause like, oh yeah. And one more thing. Um, no, you were, you were, oh wait, one more. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's really beautiful. And it's, it's amazing how uh, the course of events in your life, you know, they will be tragic, but they will leave to different, you know, major, you know, steps in your life. It goes back to the principle, uh, Gamza Latov, right? This too is for the good. Very much. It's very cool if you look at my life from the backwards side. It all makes a lot of sense. When I was living it, or still I'm living it, it doesn't always make sense. Like, it's really hard. But looking back, I wouldn't change anything. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree, agree with you more. There were uh, even a lot of things in my life and in, in, in a lot of the ways of, um, I would say, like my Jewish journey that, you know, while the origins of them were rough that they later on developed into and blossomed into these really amazing steps and feats for me. And it sounds like the same for you, of course, on a different scale for you. And it just goes to show that that's a major theme in Judaism. You know, I remember David Sachs coming out of the podcast and talking about the concept of Parnosa, right? The a hard earned miracle. And, yeah. uh, you know, what a, what a blessing it is that you have, today to really be able to expand on that so really it's, it's amazing I, i'm very grateful i feel very grateful for for where i am today it's not Good. it's not something that is obvious right right absolutely and it's amazing to, to see that you know questioning the answers is more than just an instagram account more than just a youtube uh, channel it's it's really an organization you bring in all these different speakers you've been able to uh, really engage with people and teach judaism from this amazing standpoint it's amazing. Like I learn with, with like young girls and women one-on-one -on, -one, on Zoom or in person. And we, we hang out. We have, we have people for Shabbos all the time. It's like, it's an incredible, it's just like a, it's more than an organization. I don't know. It's just, it's my whole life. Absolutely. I, yeah. I can imagine. So Kayla, the way that you and I were connected is actually through this icon right here, the Bad Jew WhatsApp community, people who had subscribed to my channel, had also been subscribed to your channel and people had said, you need to connect with Kayla. So we can, I connected with you and Isn't then that? it's really cool. And then on top of that, what happened was people were asking questions. I, I used to have in the old system of how this WhatsApp group chat worked is open forum Fridays. And a lot of the time gender roles came up in that. 
And as I got to know you more, I realized, no, Kayla and I should talk about gender roles in Judaism. Is Judaism sexist? We've heard kind of a lot of different concepts. There's a lot of preconceived notions. But honestly, I also, I kind of see both sides of it. And I'm a bit confused myself. Even my girlfriend, by the way, who I love very dearly, can tend to feel uncomfortable in more traditional spaces because of some of these preconceived notions for for very good reason, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, you know, is Judaism a sexist religion? Okay, so you have to like differentiate. First of all, you you have to define what sexism means because I could be talking about something like we have to like set the parameters, you know, like set where we're all, make sure we're all in the same place. Okay. Um, I think that what's interesting is that the way that we actually connected, because we had talked like theoretically, and then one of the girls was by me for Shabbos and I saw her phone and I saw people chatting on the WhatsApp about sex and Judaism and how is it, why is it so like forbidden and has to be non-enjoyable, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I get very passionate about things. Like I see something, I'm like, I need to get involved. So I grabbed her phone and I started typing, like angrily typing, like and that's how like we actually got to know each other, which was a great way for me to introduce myself. It really, but really I was, think yeah. That sexism, if we're defining it as something that pushes women to the side or something that makes men more important than women, is that how we're defining sexism? Yeah, that, that's how I would look at it right now. Yeah. I think that there is like a bunch of different aspects to Judaism. There's the religion, there's the nation, there's the people, there's the Torah. It's not actually the same what like Hashem said or what the Torah said. I can go into, I can just like launch into my whole speech if you would like. But Absolutely. If you have a speech, let's go into it. Let's <laughs> well, explore. Look, I did, I, the way that I do things is I love research. I love for me seeing things in the stores and how they've evolved is very, very like how my brain works. Like if somebody just tells me something, I will not take it at face value. I need to see it inside. I need to know who said it. I need to know that person's history. Like why am I listening to this person? So every time I have a question, I immediately go to the source. So I actually had this question a while back when there was the whole Aguna issue, which is where men don't give their wives a divorce. And in Judaism, a man is the one who has to grant the divorce. And if she doesn't get it from him, which is called the get, then she can't get remarried. And there are, are hundreds of thousands of women, okay, tens of thousands of women, but probably more because like they don't write everyone down, that are like trapped in these marriages where the men are on in a different country and totally not like whatever, but refuse to grant them the divorce. So I had done research back then about like Judaism and I've gone back to the source, to the source. I took all the mitzvot that women do. I took all the times that women were mentioned in the Torah. I went all the way back. It always goes back to Chava. Every single mitzvah that we do, every single time that women are no matter what you do, when you trace it back, it will always come back to the story of Chava in Gan Eden when she gave Adam the apple. And it's like, okay. it's like insane. It's like, oh my God, okay, we get it. She gave him the apple. Like what in the world, right? Oh, sorry, who is Chava? So the story of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve right. in the garden where she gave him an apple, she caused him to sin. Oh my God, the world ended. la, all women are horrible. This has been like, this has been like what I keep seeing. So it really bothered me. Like, it really, really bothered me. And I was like, what is this? Is this like the entire nature of a woman? It's just that we suck. Do we all have to suffer for like the rest of eternity because Chava gave Adam an apple? Like, oh my God, right? Like, get over it. Or I don't think it was an apple. It was a fig. 
I think that it's important before you like learn about anything in Judaism to understand how Judaism evolves because Judaism is man-led. So God gave us the Torah, but he gave it to us, right? And we go and we interpret it in all the books and everything that we've written, the Gemara, all the, I mean, like Judaism is like the book religion. It's all written by men. It's not written by God. Only the first book, the Torah, was written by God. And if we would follow only the Torah, like we would have a lot more issues. It's not like necessarily something we're supposed to follow, which is something that like I really struggled with because I was like, the Torah literally has things in it that are very sexist. Like there's a, there's a situation where if a woman is raped in a field, okay, like a woman's like chilling in a field, a man comes and rapes her. The man has to either marry her or pay her father the amount that it's going to cost to, to support her for the rest of her life. Why? Because she wouldn't, she can't get married now because she's damaged goods. So he has to either marry her or support her. I know I see your face. It's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, what the okay, so I'm like, okay, well maybe that was just like, whatever. And like, let's see what happens to like a man, right? Like to a, a woman. Right. So like, okay. If a woman is suspected, it says, this is like a pusuk later. If a woman is suspected of cheating on her husband, like meaning she doesn't bleed on her wedding night and he thinks she lied that she was a virgin. Okay. If she suspected, which nowadays we know doesn't mean she lied. She's stoned to death in front of her father's house by her neighbors. So I was like, okay, what? Like, I was just like, what? Okay. Yeah. So, so I was learning about it a lot, a lot, a lot. Cause it was really bothering me. I talked to my husband and my father about it. Like for like a month, I was so angry what came down to is like this. The Gemara tells us over 200 times, what that means, the Torah was speaking to the generation that it was given to, not necessarily to all the generations. Because God wanted the Jews to accept the Torah. If they were, if he would have written the ideal or the what he really wants or what the right thing to do is, they wouldn't have been able to accept it. You're talking to a nation of people who treat women like they're cattle, they're on the side of the road. You do whatever you want to them and then continue walking. Like women didn't have any autonomy over their body. They weren't allowed to decide who they're going to marry. They weren't allowed to own property. Like they were objects meant for male pleasure to feed, to create humans and to give men pleasure. They weren't people. They weren't treated as people. And if, if there was a man who thought his wife cheated on him, he would burn her to death. Like literally burn her alive to protect his family's honor and that was just if he suspected so the torah is like no you can't just burn her alive you have to go and you have to prove that she was with the man and you have to say that you have warned her like this is so dark. you have to warn her that she's not be alone with the man and if she's alone with the man for a long enough time that they could have had done something and two people saw then you have to take her to court and then she has a chance to admit it and if she doesn't admit it then she has a chance to drink the holy water and the holy water will decide either she'll burn from the inside or she'll be fine right it sounds atrocious but it's right. so much better than just burning her alive because you suspect her of something like no there's a system and eventually we evolve so every generation is meant to take the torah and take whatever we have and apply it to their generation and evolve so nowadays if you think your wife is cheating on you you don't burn her and you don't take her. You just say either you divorce her or you confront her or you go to therapy. Like you don't just like to burn her alive, right? We don't burn anybody alive anymore. It's not a thing. We don't do that. We don't kill people. 
just right, but also the Torah hasn't changed to the new way we do things either. So the how Torah's can we? Torah's not going to change, though. Right. So we have to know not to. This is what the Gemara is telling us. It's not necessarily about the words in the Torah. It's more about the message. The Torah is telling you implement a system, be kind, be better than the rest of the world in how they treat women. And as we evolve, and the rabbis, and nowadays even like the women, come up with things and evolve and create new adaptions and what's called halacha or minhag, right? We create customs and those customs become how we live our lives. Those are bound, binding. Like we can't just like, and the Torah even tells us if a rabbi, like if, if an accepted rabbi, if all the Jews accept it, it becomes halacha, you can't change it. And it becomes binding. And that's how we live our lives. We live our lives based on the involvement of the Torah, not necessarily based on the words in the Torah. We don't, right? We don't, we don't burn people alive. We don't. No. Technically, we don't keep the Torah. We keep the evolution and all the works that come out of the Torah, and we evolve over time. We're supposed to. Evolve. Right. So I, I guess where my confusion is, is like, how do we know when to take the Torah literally versus when to evolve with it? This is where I struggle a little bit. I think a lot of people struggle with this. There's parameters. There's 13 parameters through which you have to evolve with the Torah, and you can't go through. So you can't contradict the Torah. The okay. Torah tells you to do something. You can't say, don't do that. Or the exact opposite. You can't directly contradict the Torah. You can't like, there's, there's 13 principles. You can't like, if the Torah tells you not to smack a woman, then you obviously can't kill a woman. It's like Kalva Homer. If you can't do this, then you for sure can't do that. Right. Okay. That's another one of the pr parameters. There's 13 principles that we kind of filter any evolution that we go through through those um, 13 filters and it has to work and you can't just say whatever you want. It has to be, and it can't just, it's not just me and you. We can't just like get up and say how we feel. It has to be an accepted leader of the Jewish people. Okay. It has to be respect for a respected person who a large community has respected and accepted. Right, okay, so, so a rabbi, right? That's kind of what you're saying indirectly? So the reason I'm not saying rabbi is because that's sexist. Okay, got it. <laughs> I think so, the reason that it has been, so so the reason that we have so many halachos and minhagim that are sexist is be like like that there's like a lot of sexist halachos and minhagim. I think it's very much uh, because of the fact that women were illiterate, the men were illiterate, and they were the ones who were writing these books and, ev and evolving, and they were sexist. They were, I mean, those that this was hundreds of thousands of years. Well, okay, hundreds or thousands of years ago. They are not, they were sexist. That that was their culture. They didn't believe that women should be seen. They didn't believe that women should be heard. And they didn't even think to say that they should be. Like the idea that a woman should 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 decide who she's gonna marry didn't come around for years. I guess I just don't know if I'm someone today who picks up the Torah just starts reading it, right? Mm -hmm. Five books of Moses, start looking at the other books around it, like the Talmud, if I look at Gomorrah, you know, whatever it is, right? I'm starting to look at these different texts that talk about Judaism, the Kabbalah, right? How do I, I guess where I'm struggling is how do I figure out what to take literally versus not literally? And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that, I'll be honest with you. Right, me too. I think that I think that what we do is we have to understand the evolution of halacha and minhag as to how we act today, and the way that we do that is it's like it's a whole chapter in my book. 
So okay. we have to learn the evolution, right? So we had the Torah and then we had where we had, we had the, each leader would like pass it on. And there were the 70 elders who would help people understand how to keep the Torah. And each time they would evolve. And eventually it was written down into the Mishnah, which was like, kind of like a very vague summary of the Torah of, and, and of how we keep things because when the Torah was given, the Torah was not just given Torah Shabbat. It wasn't just five books of Moses, Moses given to Moses. It was Moshe up there for, what was it, 120 days or something, or 40, I think total, or 40 days, where Hashem literally taught him how to keep the Torah. So you have the textbook and then you have the class, right? Right. Which you need. You need to have that class. Like, I'm an architect. I went to college. If I would have just read the textbooks in college, I would not be a very good architect, right? You need the class, the explanation. And Moshe right. told that explanation to Yoshua, and Yoshua told it to his student and to his student and to his student. And it went like that for generation for a few generations. It went down. And then eventually, because of war and plague and dispersion, they wrote it down in the Mishnah. And then the Mishnah was studied. And then after 200 years, all of what they learned from the Mishnah got written down because again, plague, dispersion, war. And they got written down in the, into the Gemara. And that's how it kept going. It was the Rambam wrote the Mishnah Torah. The, then they, along came the Shulchan Aruch, And then along came the Mishnah Bura. And now, then we had Ramosha Feinstein. Every few hundred years, we had war, dispersion, confusion. And that's when we came together, summarized, okay, where are we holding? This is the new benchmark. We're going to go from here. And we have it so clearly to the point where if we didn't have war and we didn't have exile and we didn't have dispersion, we would not have the beautiful Torah we have today, we would have never evolved because we would have never had to work through and work through and work through and work through and write down and summarize. It's because of dispersion and because of exile that we've evolved. We okay. So nations gave us. So that's interesting. It's, it's kind of like, it's, you know, it's interesting. No, it, it is interesting. So in that regards, yeah, Jews were forced time and time again, even today we are in this position time and time again to, yeah, we're due, for, yeah. Another we're due like, for another one. Yeah. Yeah, we're due for another one. Kind of like uh basic colors on a on a palette. And you eventually mix them up and mix them up and mix them up and see what kind of new color comes of it, right? Yes. That's kind of what you're describing in a way, is yes. that maybe there were some basic concepts. Art. Imagine we only had red and yellow and blue. We would not have beautiful art. Right. Right. So let me ask you this, then I'm going to pull up a, a segment from an article of a magazine called Rampage. This, this, uh, this, this writer named Orly Ramani wrote a, a piece about her struggle as a, as a Jewish woman. And so, I mean, there are, there's a specific prayer, right? Uh, this prayer that she references here about a year ago when reading one of the Birchat Hashachar, I noticed that in the Bracha Shiloh Asani Isha, the female blessing was She Asani Kitsono, that translates to I was made in God's image rather than the male blessing, which translates to that I was not made a woman. After reading this, a problem came crystal clear to me. Orthodox Judaism is unjust towards women. So Orly here. I don't I totally disagree with her. She told okay. because she create she just saw something, this made a decision. She did no research. She didn't do learn. She didn't ask. She uh -huh. just made a decision. And she's so, wrong. So personally, when I hear that, without knowing any further justification, I would rather say, thank God I was born in God's image. Yeah. I, I don't understand why I would have to put down. It seems like I'm putting down the other sex, no? When I say. You are, but you're not. 
Uh, okay, basically, the, um, yeah. when God created humans, he gave us mitzvot because the mitzvah, right, which is a, a commandment in the Torah, mitzvah means connection. And he gave us these mitzvot to give us the opportunity to connect to him. And the more that we connect to him, the more pipe we build, the more blessings and goodness and amazingness we can get. So God wanted us to create this pipe so that he can throw blessings down. It's the whole reason he created the world was to give us good, was so that he can have a kingdom, was so that he can have people to spoil, right? It's the reason we have children, so we can like love somebody, right? And he wanted us to, the, he wanted us to appreciate it. So he asked us, you do the mitzvahs, you build the pipe, I'll fill the pipe up. Then he gave women the responsibility of creating humans and raising children, which is a lot, really, really very important and very time consuming. Understanding this, God said, okay, instead of making you here and asking, instead of here, I'll put, instead of making you here and asking you to build the ladder, I'm going to put you here since you don't have time to build that ladder. So we're created. Shasani Kertsono does not mean in his image at all. It's not Shasani Kitsuro. Shasani Kertsono means that, I mean, I'm Israeli, Hebrew. It means Shasani Kertsono, that he made me as his will. He made me as he wanted me to be. So he created me in the ideal way, whereas he created man in a non-ideal way. And man has to work his way up here while a woman is already here. So the reason that a man says, thank you for not making me a woman, is because a man, is, Hashem is asking the man to remind himself every day, don't get bitter that I gave you this work. Don't be resentful that I made you less than her. I'm giving you an opportunity to build it. You have so many more mitzvahs that you can do. So it's kind of like a comfort to the man. I'm thanking you. Even You know how when, when someone dies, when their, their loved ones, their relatives have to say thank you to Hashem for a year in shul. They have to say Kaddish for a year in shul and talk about how great god is right they remind themselves that no there's a plan here there's a good thing here this is even though it seems from the outside like i was like i was mistreated because she's created here and i'm created down here i was given the opportunity to do all these mitzvahs so i'm going to appreciate that instead of be resentful and what happened was is that modern day feminism took this beautiful thing and somehow flipped it to women being wronged, which it never was. They did not even like, it was men being wronged. And this was a comfort to men. Shalom Sani Isha is, I'm thanking you. You know, we thank Hashem for the good as we thank him for the bad. And that's basically that. <laughs> right. So, okay. I, I have a question for you that you probably I, I I have to ask it. I don't know if you if you can answer it is the thing. I'll tell you if I can't. And and that is is that always how that concept has been taught? Yeah. As in that wasn't changed to make things more convenient for today's feminism. That that was actually always how Judaism. Yeah, Hashem didn't create the prayers. Okay. Rabbis did. When the when the temple was destroyed and people couldn't bring sacrifices karbonot anymore. We needed a different way to pray because that's how we always prayed. And instead of bringing the carbonot, we would pray. And eventually those prayers got written down. That's why we have so many different versions of the same prayers because different communities wrote them down differently. They're not God-given words. I mean, the people who wrote them down were huge tzaddikim and we really respect them to the point where we wrote them in our sitters and we say them every day. But it isn't, it, it isn't God-given, it's man-given. And those men wrote this as a comfort to themselves. It was it was not 
is that he made me as he wanted me. It is the most beautiful blessing. That is what it was intended to be. It wasn't intended, it wasn't intended to be like, oh, it wasn't a bunch of immature people sitting around saying, how can I stick it to the woman? How can I be uh, like, they, they didn't feel that way about their women. You know what I'm saying? They respected their women. They just respected them in the way that their culture respected them. They just didn't have the, the concept and the context that we have today. It wasn't like that. But you also described a time where it was acceptable to stone women. For... Right. That was thousand, that was a thousand or two thousand years before oh, okay. players were ever created. Okay. That, was, okay. that was in the desert. That was by Egypt. I'm 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 trying to place the timeline here, so I'm just trying to understand. It's right. It's, so we have, we have like before the Torah, then we have when the Torah, and then we have we have like a thousand. Well, I don't know the exact amount of years, but we have a long time where we lived in Israel and we had King David and we had King Solomon and we were great. Mm -hmm. And then the diaspora started. We, it, it's so many, so many thousands of years later. It doesn't even like, it's not the same people. It's not the same Torah. It, it had evolved so much by then. And culture had had evolved so much by then. Humanity had evolved. Okay, okay. We things down. We had, we had a language. Here, here's another question, right? This, this, this is, a, this is a, another question that might... Can, is I just, that... can I just say one thing? Yeah, please. And then I want to hear a question. The way that this woman, Orly, wrote, Shasani Kiltono created me in his image. Orthodox Judaism is unjust to women, right? She literally goes, Shasani Kiltono translates to I was made in God's image. And Orthodox Judaism is unjust towards women. It really bothers me because I think that, yes, there are rabbis. And I will be the first person to tell you that Judaism, as we practice it, especially in the rabbi's world, is just not one that really thinks of the woman as an important thing. And now with erasing women's faces and with the Aguna issue and with like all these communities not accepting women who like are very well learned. I think that there's an issue in our nation today with people being sexist. I do. I think that rabbis and a lot of men in our, a lot of Jewish men are sexist and even Jewish women are sexist. Like, I do think that, that that it's an issue in our people, but I don't think it's a systemic issue in our tradition, in our inheritance. I don't. Okay. And I think that people are always so quick to jump and say that it's an issue. She translated it wrong. She created a, a, a situation and then she went and wrote this article so that another hundred women can see it and get pissed off. And it makes me so sad because like, just do five minutes of research. Just try, don't try to vilify Judaism. See if you can make it work because it's probably not that bad. And it's, it is unfortunate because, by the way, that magazine by Rampage is the first result when you ask the question on Google, is Judaism sexist? Um, there you go. So it's, there's a search and optimization issue there where that one is getting the top result. Maybe we can get this video to be the top result as well. I, well, ever since I opened questioning the answers, I, I always vent to my husband about this, how frustrating it is for me because people who are sharing you know, um, like clickbait stuff and, and angry stuff and negative stuff are always like viral. And when I share positive things and I share the good side of Judaism and I share the explanation for something, it never gets out. Like I, for some reason, have I don't have like the personality that is needed to go viral. I've never done it. And it always frustrates me, not because I want to be famous, but because I want the message out there of like, Judaism is not bad. And if you didn't understand it, you probably just need to research it a little bit more. Inherently, the religion, the Torah, 
is not sexist. How we practice it has a lot of sexist problems because the rabbis who've been in, instrumental in the evolution have been sexist rabbis. And we need to change that. We need to change the people who are evolving, who are in, instrumental in the evolution. But the Torah, the religion itself is not sexist at all. And with every single example, I will show you. Okay, amazing. So then here was my question because it ties into exactly everything you just said. Is Judaism a patriarchy? It depends. What do you call a patriarchy? I don't well, know. Something that is 100% sure led, led by the male sex, I guess. It is, but it doesn't have to be. It is, but it doesn't have to be. Who would it I mean, be? A woman, okay, you know how like there's women who want to be rabbis? Yeah. Okay, so a woman can be a rabbi. She's just not called a rabbi because rabbi is male. And I don't know why any woman would want to be called something that's male. It's like if you take a male doctor and a female doctor and you put it in Hebrew, he'll be called a rofe and she'll be called a rofa. That's just how it is. That's just the Hebrew language. There's okay. nothing wrong with a woman being a rabbanit. She can be a rabbanit. I have my rabbanit, rabbanit Yimima Mizrahi is a huge rabbanit. Okay. Yeah. I speak in front of men. It's totally fine. I, I wrote books. Like the problem, What what is the issue? I think that there should always be a rabbi and a rabbanit in a shul. So that if somebody feels more comfortable going to the man, they can. And if somebody feels more comfortable going to the woman, they can. And I think that they're equal. And I don't see how Judaism has an issue with that. We, it doesn't. Like, in general, Judaism is led by men because that's how we've evolved. And we should change that. It right. should be 50-50. But halacha allows it to be 50-50. The only right. thing halacha doesn't allow is for women to sing in front of men. So women can't lead prayers in front of men. That's the only thing that's an issue. Right, right. And I want to do another episode about that. that. That's a whole separate issue about what men and women can and can't do in front of each other and why. Because that in itself, I think, leads to a lot of confusion related to this topic. It certainly is confusing for me. And this is, of course, a learning curve for me. Related to that topic, you know, here's another article, right? Kind of a little bit of a counter argument. This talks, this is an argument from pluralism and it's the new studies, uh, new, new Jewish studies and women is that more recently, the Egalitarian emphasis has been replaced by feminization of contemporary Judaism, reclaiming aspects of traditional Judaism, which can relate to the female experience. I'm just going to go further down a little bit here. Um, Jewish history is being rewritten to include women's experiences as in the unique prayers for women called the Chinot. In a modern version of the Midrash, Jewish texts are being reinterpreted to uncover the, Jew the woman's point of view. Scroll down a little bit further, and it says women's prayer and study groups have sprung up, many are meeting around Rosh Chodesh, the first of the lunar month, an occasion to observe the new moon and celebrate women's bodily cycles. So I think that that's actually really fascinating. Is that only what, what we just read about? Are you seeing that happen more in traditional circles? Or are you also experiencing that solely in reform and conservative circles? So um, I not in such a like organized way, but I do I have seen a lot of like I started doing this thing where I like read the Parsha, just read the actual text, and, like the stories. And there has been a lot of like seeing it when you read the story of Avram and Sarah going to Egypt and Avram telling Sarah to pretend that she's his sister and whatever. You can read it from Avram's point of view. You can read it from Sarah's point of view. It's up to the reader. Right. And I have seen that a lot of people have been seeing it like, whoa, this is really problematic, Abraham. Like, yo, you just literally told your wife to go give herself up for rape and maybe murder because you didn't want to be hurt. Like, it's there's something really problematic about 
how Avraham dealt with that situation. And when I said that on my Instagram, I wasn't met with like, I was, okay, I would say 50-50. I was met with messages of like, that's blasphemy, that's disrespectful. How dare you talk about Avraham that way? And the other half was like, I'm so curious. Like this actually changes the whole story for me. That's why Sarah kicked Hagar out. It wasn't that Avram had a baby with Hagar. It was that Avram had an emotional relationship with Hagar. The Torah tells us that Avram hugged her, that Avram cuddled her, right? Like Sarah wasn't upset at Hagar for sleeping with her husband. That was normal in those days, but she was upset at Avram for developing an emotional relationship with her, which wasn't normal in those days. And like the, you can read it from Sarah's point of view and people have been doing that just because that's the culture we live in now. We've evolved. Right. And we now live in a place where people are hearing both sides. I would say that the medrash and the stories and all of that, that they're bringing from the woman's side of view, as long as it's properly sourced and it's true, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's so cool to read these things from a woman's point of view. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, I think it's really cool. I will say that growing up, though, Rosh Chodesh was always celebrated as a woman's holiday. Always. Hmm. Okay. It was a question. Women and Rosh Chodesh women are synced with the moon. We have like an extra dimension of Bina, it was always a very spiritual thing. And it, getting your period was a very spiritual thing. And it, that's that's definitely how it was given over. It wasn't taken from me. And I grew up very religious, Haredi in Matasarf, like in the one of the most Haredi neighborhoods in Israel. Like I grew up in the trenches. And that was, it was, you know, it was bad. It was, like, there was nothing good about it, but this was not one of the bad things. Like, they, they were Scottish was not taken from me. I was, it was a woman's holiday. And Hanukkah was a woman's holiday. It was, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I hear you there. So I guess where I'm personally left, where I'm standing is that I'm hearing some things that sound like it is in favor of the men. And I'm hearing other things that are in favor of women. And I personally can't make a conclusion. I, didn't, I don't mean to put Judaism on trial here. Of course, that is what the episode yeah, is doing. Good. Okay, fine. I'll put Judaism on trial. You can. I think okay, you can. fine. I will. Uh, is Judaism sexist? I'm left inconclusive. I think, I think that Judaism is separated into two things. There's the nation and there's the religion. Uh-huh. Jews, yeah, we're pretty sexist. Yeah. <laughs> But Judaism is not. And if we can evolve to the point where we're not sexist, then we'll find ways. Like, can I give you an example? The Aguna issue, which was, I love how I just asked and did not wait for an answer. Yeah. (laughs) The Aguna (laughs) issue where there's these women who are trapped in marriages, right? I was really angry. And I was like, how could it be that this religion that I follow, this Torah that I follow would want me to suffer? So not possible. I'm going to do research. I did research. I found five different ways that you can release a woman from this marriage without her husband giving her a gift. Five. Okay. I wrote a letter. I called over 120 rabbis, not rabbis of small communities, big rabbis, respected rabbis, rabbis of rabbis. Okay. And I have connections. I'm the daughter of a big rabbi. I called so many rabbis, over 120 rabbis. The majority of them told me, you're right. I'm not your guy. Some of them told me, you're right, but nobody will accept this. Ju- the Jewish nation won't accept this. And a few of them told me, you're right, but I would prefer to pretend this doesn't exist because I don't agree with it. But that was only a select few. That was maybe like 5%. But most of them told me, you're right. I agree with you. This is allowed. I'm not going to do it. Now that is there are solutions. Judaism as a religion has solutions to this very, very gigantic problem. But... They, they, none of them, 
nobody is brave enough to get up and do it. I'll tell you something else though, because you're going to blame the men. It's not the men's fault. I mean, maybe I'm just bad at Instagram, but I went on Instagram. I posted the letter and I said, share it, get the rabbis in your community to sign the letter, promote it, promote awareness, share it. There were Instagram influencers talking about the Aguna issue and they went on Vogue magazine and they were like all over the place. They all know me, some of them personally. They all ignored it. Nobody shared it. Nobody, they texted me. They told me that it's amazing. They messaged me privately that it's so cool. My Instagram exploded with DMs and likes. No, no one shared it. I think maybe five people shared it. So what you're saying, yeah. So you, what you're saying is that the takeaway here isn't the texts. It isn't the traditions, so to speak. I mean, yeah, there are some things that are written, but that was written for that time period, not for today. Right. It's really societal issues. It comes down to an individual level of people having responsibility and taking it. So then if they're not, if they gave us a responsibility to evolve, if you're not going to evolve, it's going to stay sexist. That is a human problem. Judaism is a societal religion. It's a religion that evolves. It's not a religion that stays in stone. It's a religion that evolves and it was meant to be that way. That's how God intended for it to be. That's what he tells us to do with it. If we're not going to evolve with it, we can't blame it. We are not evolving. Right. Whose fault is that? I don't know. Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> I like that little, little, little mumble of, well, here's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I can name it. Like, I can tell you who I think is at fault and who I think can fix it, but they're not listening, so it's fine. So this this was fascinating, though, and I need to marinate on this more because I have noticed that there are specific customs that are not mentioned in the Torah that I see practiced on a daily basis in traditional environments. And even, by the way, in reform and conservative environments as well, that, again, I, the nice. I want to tell you that I have so much respect for reform and conservative communities, and I have friends in both of those communities. And yeah. I, do, I, do, I do see their point. I don't agree with it. Like, my value system is different. But I do have a lot of respect for how they do things. I don't, I don't think that we should dismiss them. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I was just going to add in the two cents that what I'm seeing is that it really comes down to individual level. By the way, where in the Torah does it say that we need to evolve as as a people? Well, it's more in the Gemara says, because every generation gets closer to Mashiach. We need to bring the world back. There was The world was in perfection. It left perfection. And now we need to do tikkun olam. And we need to bring the world back to a state of perfection. That's our job. It's our job to bring the world from Z back to A. When we were in Egypt, we were at the lowest of the lows of the lows, and we've been slowly climbing our way out ever since. And when we get to the top, that's when Mashiach will come, either at the year 6,000 when the world is over or before if we can get our act together. Right, right. Amazing. Well, Kayla, thank you again for being on the podcast. Uh, please, for those who are listening, be sure to check out her book, Questioning the Answers. We'll have up-to-date links in the show notes of this episode by the time that this episode comes okay. out. Maybe even will be an audiobook that yeah, well, the episode comes out. That's oh, right. That's right. So yeah. we hope that it's an audiobook as well. And I want to thank you. Uh, Kayla, what are, the, what are the ways that people can get in contact with you? You can email me. Kayla Haber at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Instagram at questioning the answers. Amazing. Be sure to go to her Instagram at questioning the answers. Go and check out her book. The links for purchasing her book and the future audio book to come will be in the description of this episode. Kayla, again, I want to thank you for going thank over you. and exploring this. So cool. 
it's expansive, you know. And again, uh, really amazing. We only like scratched the tip of the iceberg. We really, really did. There's so much more. There's a whole book's worth, as you have proven, uh, yes. on this topic. But this this interview wasn't possible without the Bad Jew WhatsApp community. If you're interested in doing the community, asking controversial questions, join our safe space, this virtual safe space, where you can ask any question about Judaism that you've ever wanted to. You do not have to be Jewish to join the WhatsApp group chat and to learn from the community about what is even happening in the inner workings of Judaism. Be sure to go to that WhatsApp group chat right there to learn more about this exciting and wonderful community that we've been able to create. You can also email us at badjupod at gmail.com. For those who are listening, thank you so, so much. Shalom.